This is Confessions of a Former Mean Girl with Serena Myers. I'm a master transformation mentor and shadow guide, and I work with heart-centered, high-achieving women who are on the journey to becoming the truest version of themselves, which is only possible by first accepting all that they are. This podcast explores the lessons I've learned from my bad decisions so you can feel better about yours. It's normal to be a messy human, so let's talk about it. This is episode 21 of Confessions of a Former Mean Girl. I'm so glad that we are having this time together today. Oh, you know when you have those conversations and they kind of like kick you in the gut because it's exactly the thing that you need to hear and also it's, you know, packed with uncomfortable truths. Well, I had one of those today with my business coach and that is what has inspired today's episode. So today I would like to talk about identity, roles, archetypes, the way that we show up in the world. So let me just like paint a picture for you about how we got started on this conversation today and then how this applies to you and how you navigate the world. So if you don't know already, I created this sweet little quiz called What's Your Role in Community? And I'll make sure that we link that in the show notes so that if you want to find out what your role is, that you can go ahead and do that. And so there are three community roles, the Keeper of the Flame, the Keeper of the Secrets, and the Keeper of the Circle. And under each of these Keeper roles are these three archetypes. There's nine archetypes in total of the ways and the roles that we play in community, how we show up, what our role is, the value that we bring, how we connect with others. And with that, when we understand not just what we do in community, but how the other roles operate, we can then see who can hold space for us, for what purposes, and how we can be supported. We need that reciprocity. And to be honest, like the perfect community is a combination of all of these archetypes. And even us as individuals are a combination of these archetypes. And the question my business coach asked me that punched me in the gut was she said, which of the archetypes are you? And I I laughed and I said, well, I am a reluctant nurturer. So a nurturer is one of the keepers of the flame. And she was like, oh, she wouldn't let it go. She's like, why are you reluctant? And I said, well, I am warm. I am loving. I am nurturing. I hold space. But I was groomed into that role. I was conditioned by my upbringing to be the one that everybody came to, the one who held it all together the ones who made people feel safe because I didn't feel safe growing up. I learned to be a nurturer. I don't think that is what I actually came into this life necessarily to be. Now, some would say, Serena, you have a cancer moon, you're full of shit, and there's a little point to that. But like I said, we are dimensional beings. We aren't just these one archetypes. But the reason I know that I'm a reluctant nurturer and why it's not necessarily my 100%, this is my tried and true personality, is because sometimes I resent it. Sometimes I will sidestep it on purpose because I don't want to be in that place of responsibility. And then I thought about it and I went, okay, so if that isn't my natural archetype, if that is my learned archetype because of my childhood and my trauma and the relationships I've had and whatever, then what is my true archetype? So let me start off by saying of the nine archetypes, they are the nurturer, the visionary, and the peacemaker. Those are all the keepers of the flame. There is the storyteller, the cheerleader, and the guardian that are keepers of the circle. There is the wise one, the witness, and the quiet achiever who are the keepers of the secrets. And like I said, we're all going to be like a mix of these. But what I realized is that the storyteller is probably my natural way of being. 
And then I think, why, Serena, why do you not embody that? And it's because that was the thing that was actually trained out of me. I grew up in a family of Scorpios. I think I've talked about this on the show before. I grew up in a family of Scorpios, and I was the only Leo. And it was one of these like, oh, she's such a Leo. Oh, she's so attention-seeking. Oh, she always wants to have the spotlight. And it was the thing that I was teased about. And there wasn't really anyone in my family that I would have called extroverted. And so because, I guess my dad is to a degree, actually. But you wouldn't necessarily, like, he was someone who would tell jokes and whatever. But he had a lot of social anxiety just like me. So he wasn't, you know, a card-carrying member of the extroverted party. I didn't have a lot of examples of what that looked like. And I think because these people in my family were typically quite, you know, either ambiverts or introverts, there was a bit of othering that happened because they just like, couldn't understand somebody who was the life of the party, who wanted to have people look at her and pay attention to her. And there was a lot of shame that came from that. I grew to be embarrassed of, you know, whenever I stood out and to the point where I looked for different ways to like, effectively blend in. And the thing that I knew was like some people want to blend in because they just want to be part of the experience without having to be the center of it. But for me, I always felt sad when I wasn't noticed. So a few years ago, I had pink hair. I had pink hair for four years. And it was the thing that kind of pulled me out of hiding because you can't navigate the world with pink hair and not draw attention to yourself. And I started recognizing that I liked being noticed. I liked being recognized. I remember we were at a retreat in Whistler and I was coming down out of this restaurant and there were these group of girls, little girls, they were like maybe six years old. And they were like, hey, pink lady. And I got to just be like, you know, for a minute or two, like a little celebrity to them. And it was so pure and so joyful. And for some people that would have been like, oh God, that's my nightmare. I don't want to be standing out. I don't want anyone to notice me. But for me, it felt really good. I also went to this networking event that I had been to multiple times as a brunette. And I shook the hand of someone and she said, it's so great to finally meet you. And I had literally met her three times before, but my energy had been like so entrenched in blending in and in the fear of being seen that she could not remember. <laughs> she had met me three times before, but showing up with this new energy, this new essence, this pink hair, it was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I know who you are now. And so we have these natural inclinations and I do think that childhood is a really great place to start if you didn't have super, super early childhood trauma. If you can tap into who were you when you were little? What was your natural expression? How did you, you know, how did you navigate the world? I had, in my very early childhood, I was this bubbly expressive. Like when we did back to school shopping, I had to do a full fashion show. I was a performer, a storyteller, very much that high energy, high attention seeking child. As I started to learn trauma and experience trauma over those years, I would say by the time I was maybe like nine or 10, I kind of lived these two lives. My parents were divorced. I lived one week with one, one week with the other. And when I was at my mom's house, I was half nurturer, half outgoing kid because it was still my natural personality, but I had younger siblings. I helped out a lot at home. So I had that going on. And at my dad's, I was like straight up introvert. I had a fear of rejection, a fear of abandonment, and I didn't make friends very easily. My brother would literally go and knock on people's doors and say, hi, I'm Chad, I'm seven. Do you have any kids my age? And that's how he made friends. And I just sat at home and I had my books and I would sit under the tree and that was all I needed. 
And then books turned into Ouija boards because I was a magical kid. And that took me into a whole bunch of crazy places that, you know, eventually got me to where I am today. But when I go back to this place of like, who were you as a kid before the world hardened you, before the world asked you to be anything else? Who were you? For me, I was a storyteller. And so if you find that you're living life and you know that there's like these expectations of how you're supposed to show up, these masks that you wear to navigate life, these roles that you play, and sometimes you resent them, but you feel like you don't have a choice, who were you before you were all those things? And thinking about your childhood, ideally, before the world got to you is a really good place to start. And sometimes it won't be something that you know that you've experienced at, you know, that young part of your life. Sometimes it's just this, I know that I'm destined for something more. And the image that just popped into my head is Belle from Beauty and the Beast. You know, everyone thinks that she's a complete wackadoo in her own world and whatever in this sweet little town that she's in. And she just knew, like, there must be more to this provincial life. And, you know, we do have sometimes that knowing of like, no, it's not supposed to be like this. I am supposed to be showing up differently. I'm meant for more. And that's totally okay. Now, there's going to be patriarchal systems that are going to tell you that you're supposed to feel shame or guilt or whatever for desiring more or desiring different. I say, fuck that. It's totally okay. In this space here, you and me, we are going to dream together. And so when you have this idea of this person that you would like to be, this archetype that you would want to step into and embody, what would it mean for you to lean into that? And by that, I mean, like, what would you need to shift? What would you need to believe about yourself for that to be possible? And how would it affect the way that you show up in the world? Does it mean that you would set better boundaries? Does it mean that you would finally ask for that raise? Does it mean that you would, like, feel a little bit more confident in the bedroom and ask for some things that, you know, would have made you blush the day before? What shifts and changes for you when you allow the possibility of this new archetype, this truer archetype, to be your default? And when you think about all of that, all of these things, all these changes that would make and all these things you'd need to believe about yourself, I know it's going to bring up a lot, but what feelings are coming up right now? Because we as women have been told that we should be satisfied with whatever we are handed. And that it is greedy, it is audacious, it is shameful to want or desire more. We have been handed this prescription of happiness, success, life by design, that if we just follow these rules, then we will be happy. But those rules were written by generations that came way before us. We've all been passing down the same bullshit story from generation to generation. And now we're sitting here wondering why we aren't satisfied, wondering why these roles that we have been molded and shaped into and where we have to actually almost like break our bones and contort ourselves to be able to hold ourselves in each and every day, why they don't feel liberated, why they don't feel good and cozy. And the thing is, is that sometimes we think, oh, if I just had a bigger house, if I just had more money, if I just had like, we can come up with a million scenarios of if I just had da, 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 da. But the truth of the matter is that liberation comes from standing and being and living in your truth. You will never feel free if you are pushing yourself down, watering yourself down, denying the truth of who you are. It doesn't matter how nice of a house, how big of a bank account, how tiny of a waist or whatever that you get as a result. 
If that is not your truth, it's going to feel like shit. Harsh? Yes. True? Also yes. We are in a place now where we are a generation that is asking a lot more questions. I'd say like Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, so on. We are now no longer tolerating the story of, well, that's just the way it's always been. And because we ask these questions, because we allow ourselves to be dissatisfied, because we are leaning into the discomfort of the unknown, we are then in this place where we get to create something new, something powerful, something better, something more aligned. And that changes everything. Because then you get to feel peace and joy and gratitude and happiness and liberation with everything else that you already have. You aren't on this endless quest for more that is keeping you trapped in cycles of self-rejection, self-improvement, buying another thing. You get to be in the moment, present, mindful, here. The connections that you get to have with other people are built on two souls connecting in truth. The vulnerable act of two humans showing up naked as they are and being like, yeah, bitch, I love you. And that can be scary if we have never allowed ourselves to be fully seen before. If we haven't even allowed ourselves to see ourselves in the first fucking place. Yeah, it's scary. But when that becomes your norm, when the relationships that you form are from that place of truth and not this facade that you're always afraid that someone's going to figure out the truth of who you are. You get to lean in. You get to experience love, trust, support in ways that wasn't possible before when you were masking. And you developed such, mm, it's more than intimacy. It's like safety in those relationships because you know that you have shown up warts and all and you are loved and you are accepted and you found belonging. And that's why it's important for me. This quest for belonging has been, you know, a lifelong one for me. It's why I created the Sacred Soul Sisterhood, because I know that I'm not the only one. And we need to do this work of not just asking these questions of ourselves, not just shedding these roles and identities that don't serve us anymore, but also creating a space where all of these souls, these raw, naked, vulnerable souls, who have never been seen by their day-to-day people, where we have a place that this can be expressed and seen and celebrated, where we can have our good days and our bad days and all of it is allowed, all of it is okay. The only rule is that we show up with truth and honesty. And if that is something that you have been looking for, if you have been on this quest of bettering yourself or at least bettering your knowledge of yourself, of asking these questions, of shedding all of the stories, projections, beliefs, all the things that have been in the way of you being your natural archetype, then I would absolutely love it if you joined us. And I'll make sure that I get those details for you in the show notes as well. That is it for our episode this month. Thanks so much for hanging out with me and for getting worked up with me about this idea of our potential and the truth that we hold onto in our hearts. I know that you've got it in you too. So let's do it together. Let's show up exactly as we are and let's give other people permission to do the same and make ourselves the safe place that they can share all of that and so much more.
If you like this episode, please make sure to like it, comment, rate it on your favorite podcast platform. That is going to help us in this world, this world being the podcast world, to get this message out to other women who need to hear it too. Till next time. That's it for this episode. Thanks for spending this time with me. Make sure to stay in touch between episodes by following me on Instagram. I'm at Serena Myers. If this episode inspired you or you want to support the show, please give it a share to your favorite peeps and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time.